Welcome officially to our second school of ministry class. I'm Nathan Roberts. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here and working with Phil in developing the school of ministry. So I want to welcome you guys as we get started here. And I want to share a quick little story before I pray about this little guy. If you can't see what this is, it's a little pirate toy. He's plastic and he has a band-aid around his peg leg. The reason why is because my, my nephew, Corey, he's three years old and, uh, he was playing with this. He was at my house um, on Sunday evening. He was playing with this with his mom. And he and his mom were looking at the castle, part of the toy, and there's this little alligator sticker under this drawbridge. It's in the water. And she said something to him like, oh, no, the alligator bit his leg off. And he just started crying hysterically. And the reason why he was really crying is because he looked at the pirate who had a peg leg and he said, we need to put his shoe back on. We need to get him a shoe. And she said, he, doesn't, he can't have a shoe. He has a peg leg. And he's like, no, he needs a shoe. He needs a shoe. And he's just crying and he's crying and he's crying. And it was such a sweet moment where I just watched him as he was filled with compassion for this little pirate man. And, and I thought about school of ministry and I thought about what we're doing here. I thought about the supernatural and what we're, what we're pressing into, what we're praying for, what we're believing God for. And the fact that we are believing God to restore things in people's lives. And I thought about Corey having such an innocent heart and such a heart of justice, such a heart of mercy and of compassion, and of of looking at the pirate and saying, it's not okay that he doesn't have a shoe. Because Corey is one of those people who's going to grow up, and he's going to look at people without shoes, and he's going to say, we need to do something about that. We need to put shoes on their feet. He's going to look at the injustice in the world and he's going to say, that's not okay. We need to have justice in this world. He's going to look at the people who have diseases, who have broken appendages. He's going to be looking at them and say, that's not okay. Jesus can heal that. We need to pray for that person because God can heal them. And as we start school and ministry again, especially as we press into the supernatural, into God's power working out in our lives, I'd love for us to approach it with a three-year-old's perspective where we just say, There's a lot of injustice in this world. There's a lot of brokenness in this world, and that's not okay. Jesus can do something about that. So let's pray. Lord, we just welcome you tonight. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would right now just increase our awareness of your presence. Make us aware of the fact that you are in this room, that you are within us, that you desire to teach us, that you desire to transform us. And so, Holy Spirit, upon the the confession of faith in this room, just of people showing up tonight, I believe that our hearts are saying yes to you. I believe that our hearts are saying, yes, I will to be transformed. I will to learn. I will to grow. I will to interact with you, Holy Spirit. And so would you just continue to open our hearts to the transformation that you would want to do in us? Would you open our minds to receive more information, more knowledge, so that we can live out our faith all the more? And Holy Spirit, would you just bless and anoint right now the words on Phil's lips that come across his mouth. And that he would teach your word and um, that it would just cut cut to the core of who we are and transform us from the inside out. We thank you that that is your ministry. That's what you're doing here tonight. And we look forward to what the next six weeks hold for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you welcome up Pastor Phil. All right. Well, good to see you. Thank you, Nathan. That was a uh, was a great story and a great illustration of of the the heart that the church needs to have 
for one another. It's uh, It's been really an encouraging thing to get emails from people who don't go here who are looking for us to pray for them. It's been encouraging to have people who walk in the front door of our church who've heard about the miracles that God has done in our midst and want to be a part of that miracle themselves. And I think we only attribute that to the Spirit of God. It's not because anybody here is special. It's not because, you know, anybody here has a special gift or a special call. It's just that every one of you are special. And when God chooses to work, what God does, he, he works through you and I. And we just simply release Jesus on people. Now think about that. It's not about going to church. It's not about religion. It's about releasing Jesus on people and in their life. Now let's talk a little bit. Now I know that in a crowd like this, we've got every different perspective you can imagine on Bible, religion, healing, supernatural, faith, all those kind of things. All are welcome, okay? And if, you've, if you're one of those people who have had little study, little knowledge of the Word of God, but you've been, you know, just kind of interested, don't worry. You're going to be fine. Uh, there may be things at times you'll go, wow, I've never heard of that, never thought of that. Don't be discouraged by that, okay? Just hang in there, listen, and see how God is going to speak to you. Now, let's just start with something pretty basic. Take your Bibles and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, sometimes it's better just to write the reference down because by the time you find it, we're on the fourth reference, okay? Nothing wrong with that. That all comes in time. You'll learn it. It'll, it'll all come to you. But uh, just sometimes listening and writing down the reference is better. The way you spell Thessalonians is T-H period. Right? You get it easier. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now, here's the other thing. When you take your Bible, and, and many of you use an electronic Bibles, that's great, but there is a real value from a memory standpoint when you have a Bible, a physical Bible, and you write in it. Uh, it's been proven that there is a, there's a memory aid that actually when your pen engages with a piece of paper, it, it sticks in your head longer than when you just, you know, take a note, you type it into your... So I'm not telling you which way to do it. I'm just saying it is a memory aid, okay? Underline your Bible. When you come to a verse, underline it and say, gosh, i got to remember that one. Because your mind will also go back, believe it or not, you may not know the, the reference, but your mind will go back to just the color of the ink and the position on a piece of paper. It's crazy. All right? So let's look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now let's just stop right there. The word sanctify means to be set apart for a holy purpose. So here's what it's saying. It's saying may God, may God set you apart for a holy purpose. Okay. Why would we want him to do that? Why would we want God to set us apart for a holy purpose? Let's just shout it out. What do you think? Just, yeah, because we're unique. Okay, what else? We'd like to be used by God. I can't think of anything more boring than coming to church every week and sitting there and never engaging in kingdom activity. Because sooner or later, you've got all this information that's inside of you, and you go, i got to get this out of me. 
I got to start doing something. I got to start ministering to people. I got to start teaching people something. Well, see, he says the first step what God can do, God will set you apart. God is the one who sets you apart. You see, sometimes we live out our Christian life as though, you know, well, if I just do something good, then God's going to love me and God's going to use me or God's going to heal me. It's not about you, it's about Him. Not about how good you are, how bad you are, what you've done, what you haven't done. It's about him. And when we start to have this high view of God, this view of God that says, God loves me just the way I am. And it's God's job to set me apart and start working. Now, I participate and, and I cooperate with God in that whole process. I'm saying, God, I want to I wanna set myself apart. So let me illustrate this for you. So I can get up in the morning and I say, God, today I want to live for you. When I just say that, that's all I have to say. What does it do to my mindset? What does it do to your mindset? It's different. I get up in the morning, oh, man, I can't believe I got a, another day. What a miserable day. I got to go to work. I got to face that idiot at work. You ever think anything like that? Okay. But what happens if you change your mindset? Today, I God, you've got something great in store for me. God, I can't wait to be a part of what the kingdom is all about. And would you just do in me and, and just change me in whatever way you need to change me and make every, every moment an opportunity for the kingdom? You think your perspective doesn't change? And you're, you're, so set yourself apart. Sanctify yourself. May he do that completely. Okay, and then he tells you how. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he said. He, say, he told you something about you. He told you about how he created you. He created you body, soul, and spirit. Now, body is pretty obvious, right? You got one. And that's your earth suit. That's what allows you to function here on planet earth. You kind of move around without it. You know, we'd be going, where is he? Right? But you also have a soul. Now, taking notes, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's going to be really important that you, you understand the soulish part of man because in the third part is your spirit, and that's with a little s, the human spirit. So... You are a body that houses your soul and your spirit. When you die, what happens? The physical body goes away, but guess what? You remain. You remain. Soul and spirit. And so what we want to understand is we start to, we're going to look at the Watchman Nee book first, and we want to start to understand the way God created you and how you're going to work best in life. Now, God loves the number three. Somebody give an illustration of how God has done something in threes. Okay, the Trinity, okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, what else? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, kind of three of the Old Testament characters, figures that God has worked mightily through. What else? Three primary colors. What else? Okay, what about the transfiguration? I thought he only had two. Okay, you're going to count Jesus. Way to cover. Okay. <laughs> okay, what else? Okay, three, yeah, three days, right? 
you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'm coming back, right? What else, Odette? Thank you, Miss PhD. <laughs> All right, what else? What else? God created heavens, and he said, I'm going to give you the sun, the moon, and the stars. When God created time, he said past, present, and future, right? What else? Okay, three days from the dead, good. What else? Okay, three laws of physics, of course there are. All right. <laughs> Okay, good. I hadn't thought about that one. That's great. Okay, now, the reason that we say this is God works in a, in a mighty way. Satan is always the counterfeiter, right? So the counterfeiter comes along, and what do you have? You have, a, you have an unholy trinity, too. You have Satan, you have the Antichrist, all right, and you have the false prophet. He's always going to counterfeit. So, so as we move through this, just realize everything that God is legitimately doing, what's, what's Satan trying to do? He's trying to counterfeit the real thing. You know, if you ever, how many of you been in New York City? Ever been on uh, Canal Street, Chinatown? Been down there? You know, go down there and get a good watch. Hey, I want a Rolex, twenty-five bucks. Okay, and it, next time you go down there, go down to the guy. He's coming up. He's got twenty, you know, watches on his arm. And you go, hey, um, I'm really looking for a for a fake Timex. They don't do that. Why don't they counterfeit Timex? Because there's no value in it. Sorry if you own one. Let me, let me retrace that. There's not as much value in the Timex as there is in the Rolex, right? So what does Satan do? Satan's never going to counterfeit the cheap and the, and the unimportant and the unnoticed. He's always going to try to grab what's the best. And so guess what he wants to do? You are God's best creation, when God created you, he said, this is the height, this is the good, this is the culmination of all I'm doing in creation. So what is Satan going to try to do? He's going to try to destroy you. He's going to try to take away from you and make you feel unimportant. And so we have to understand how he works. Now, when we start to look at the book, and, and what we're going to do in, in the way we kind of approach this is, how many of you had a chance, and I know a lot of you, we had more people sign up than we thought, so uh, a lot of people didn't get a chance to get the book ahead of time and read, but how many of you had a chance to, to read the first two chapters and the first two books, okay? Good, okay, good group of you did. So what we'll do is we're going to try to highlight some things in here, and we'll use these as opportunities to, uh, to kind of work through uh, the teaching. Now, remember we said that your body, and what's the next two? Soul and spirit. And your soulish part of you is your what? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. It always follows that pattern. Have you ever had anybody that's just super emotional and you say, I just can't help myself, I'm just really emotional? You're not. Because where does it start? Mind, I think something. I choose something by my will, and the result is an emotion. So every emotion will always be traced back to your mind and to your decision that you make. I'm an emotional wreck. No, you're not. You're a mental wreck. <laughs> right? I mean, that's really what we're saying here. Because what I think, you see, the way God created us, he created us with a mind 
that is a lot, and, and, and we have five, right, five senses that brings information in through different gates, the eye gate, the ear gate, right, touch, all those gates, brings it into us, and then what we do is we process that in our mind, and then we begin to make a decision based on what's going on in our will. And, for example, if I say I want to tell you a funny joke, you'd say, well, go ahead and tell it. I said, well, I don't have to. It's a funny joke. Well, it's stupid. Tell me the joke, and I'll tell you if it's funny. No, I thought you were an emotional person. Can't you just laugh anyway? Well, I could, but only how stupid you are at asking a stupid question. That's the only thing I could do. No, but what happens is I tell you a joke, and your mind listens to it, and then your will makes a decision. Is that funny or not funny? If you think it's funny, what do you do? You laugh. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you have to start to understand how your soul works if you're going to release the spirit inside of you. Otherwise, you're constantly going to be trapped in this world of feelings, bad decisions, and unhealthy thought processes. This is really critical. Now, um, this is, I was going to save this for a little bit later, but I, I really just think I should go here. Go to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And here's what it says. Everybody got it? Just shout out, I got it. Okay, good. Uh, Verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay? So the word of God is powerful and it's active and it's sharper than what? Two-edged sword. Because, and a sword is designed to do what? Cut, right? The other day I was uh, trying to get a popsicle open for cruise and I took the knife and I just about cut my finger off, right? And it was sharp. I mean, it would have, it really would have, the pain and the blood, it would have killed an average man. Now, my wife has heard that joke for so long, and she can't really laugh anymore about it because she's so over it. But thank you for helping me out, crowd, and laughing at that one. All right, now look what it says. Now, here's what's interesting about it. Everybody's kind of, you know, that, that kind of makes sense, right? The Word of God is strong. It's like a sword. But look what it does. It says, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit. You see, if the soul and the spirit aren't divided properly, your soulish man, if I can use that term, okay, your soulish person is going to control your life. And so when you start, if you're soulish man, let me give you an evidence, you're, you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I just want to pray, but I know I'm not worthy of you. And God, I know you probably don't want to answer my prayers and God, um, but I just, I'm really desperate. That's a total prayer of a soulish person. Because you don't understand in your spirit what God has already said in his word. What does God say about you? God says about you that he loved you even when you were an enemy, Romans chapter 5. How much more does he love us now that we're his children? He says that we are saints, Okay, not because we're saintly, but because of this relationship we have, he looks upon us differently. He looks upon us as his children. 
as sons of the living God. We've been adopted into the family. The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Now think about that. You come boldly before God's throne. Why? Because you're a child. Let's just illustrate it this way. Let's suppose that you know that you were a king, a queen, an emperor of some great kingdom. And you have this protocol how everything works, right? They get to they got to go through the gatekeeper. He's got to say, "Yeah, oh yeah, you can go in and you can see the king," right? And all of a sudden, here comes this little boy running by and the gatekeeper doesn't stop this little boy. He lets him run right on by and the crowds, "Oh, what's going on here? Who's the little boy?" He's the son of the king. He has access to the father whenever he wants it. That's you. A son and a daughter has access to the father whenever he wants it or she wants it. It says in Romans chapter 5, it says that we are justified by faith, not by good works, The word justified, let's think about it like this. Define it like this, it's easier. Just as if I never sinned. God looks at me just as if I never sinned. So we are justified by faith, therefore we have peace with God, the absence of conflict, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received this reconciliation, this grace. We have access to the Father. We have an entree to the king. So when I come to him in prayer, I don't, I don't come to him as, you know, just a, just a sinner saved by grace. I come as a child of God. And one of the things that's done us a lot of damage is, on the one hand, we have elevated to too high of a degree, you know, and think we're really something. And the other one is we think we're nothing. Soulish man. What we want to do, now look what it says in in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. Okay, so your physical frame, your your skeletal system has got bone and it's got marrow, right? And it can be separated, right? Your soul and your spirit can be separated, now, if this isn't resonating yet, it will. Just, you just got to kind of let this stuff start to sink in and start to let the Spirit of God work on you. And it says now, look in verse, uh, keep going, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. When I really get the Spirit of God working right in my life, guess what? He's able to take our minds and show us what's right and what's wrong. We get a right view of God. We get a right view of prayer. We get a right view of God's kingdom. Jesus put it really simple. They said, uh, hey, uh, teach us how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray, Jesus? And then he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay, anybody know it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here it comes now. Get ready. Here comes the good stuff. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? Where? on earth as it is in so what was the will of god we got to get heaven to earth earth's messed up right so let me ask you this how much conflict is there in heaven none whatever conflict there was with satan god took care of that one threw it down to earth said you deal with them right 
Okay, so so the idea is that we say God's will is I want the way that the kingdom of God works in heaven, I want it to work here on earth. And guess who I put in charge of that? You, 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 yeah, you. Yeah, because I'm leaving. All right, I have an appointment in heaven, Jesus, but I'm not going to leave you all alone. I'm going to send you the comforter. Let's go in our Bibles to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. There's a couple of verses I'm going to give you here in John 14 and 16 that I want you to mark in your Bible because they are critical, critical, important verses on the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has not yet been crucified or raised from the dead in John chapter 14, right? Everybody says yay? Okay, uh, and so we see that we see that happening later on in the Gospels, and then we see um, this whole resurrection scene coming in the book of Acts and toward the end of the Gospels, right? So what he's doing, he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit comes to live permanently inside of them. All right, now let's watch this, John chapter fourteen, and let's look at um, let's look at verse fifteen and following. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You ever met somebody that was kind of away from God, and they said, oh, I love Jesus? Give them this verse. Dang, this one will kill you, right? If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments. So the whole thing about loving God comes down to, do I do what Jesus said? Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That was part of the will of God, right? That's my commandment. Okay, now look what he says. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may, be, uh, that he may abide with you forever. Okay, so what, what do we learn here? He says, Jesus says, I'm going away, but what's going to happen is I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to abide with you until you sin. Is that what it says? What does it say? Oh, uh, no, he can't really mean that because I'm a bad person and I do bad stuff. I know the Spirit gets mad at me. He takes off. What does it say? You see, the great thing is if you just let the Word of God speak to you, it takes care of all the stuff that church and religion has been telling you. Does that make sense? So look what it says. Verse 17, the Spirit of, of truth. If I want to know truth, how do I find truth? In the Word, the Spirit of God, right? Whom the world cannot receive because it, 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 uh, that it sees him, does not see him nor know him, but you know him, for he dwells, what's the next word? With you. Okay, now, before Jesus was raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit was alongside and with them. But notice what he says. He gives you more revelation here. Look what he says. And he will be where? Inside of you. So what happens for New Testament, okay, believers, I receive Christ, and what happens to me? What does the Spirit of God do? He comes to dwell inside of me. I become the house of God. I become the residence of God, so to speak, right? The Bible says you are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of God. Why? Why is it the temple of God? Because God's Spirit dwells in there, right? Right? Okay, now I know this is basic nuts and bolts stuff, but if you don't get this right, 
you know, you're going to struggle the rest with the rest of stuff. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Okay, now go to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So who's my teacher? Holy Spirit's my teacher. See, I can really only appeal to your mind. But the Holy Spirit can take my words and he can use them and then the Spirit of God can apply them to your spirit. And that's why when I'm walking the Spirit of God, what do I have? I have this great discerner of truth called the Holy Spirit. So if I'm walking with God and I hear something that's goofy, the Spirit of God's going, wait a minute, that's goofy. Right? And that's what's called discernment. I got to figure out what's right, what's wrong. First thing I'm going to say is, what does the Bible say? Okay. Then we're going to say, what is the Spirit of God telling me? Now, look what it says. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all things that I have spoken unto you. So what's he going to do? You find yourself in a situation, and the Holy Spirit is going to be your comforter. He's going to, he's going to bring truth to you, but guess what else he's going to do? He's going to bring remembrance. He says, hey, you know what? That situation, this is like that story in the Bible. This is like that scripture. This is that. And you go, wait a minute, I just figured something out. So every time you read the Bible, even if whether you memorize it or not, guess what? The Holy Spirit's logging that stuff in your heart. Have you ever had that experience? I know many of you probably have where, you know, you just said, man, I don't know where that scripture came from. I don't even remember reading it. And, and, and all of a sudden, man, I'm just, I'm talking to this person and they, and I start to, I, I don't remember the verse. I don't remember all of it, but I got the essence of it. And the Spirit of God did what? He brought it to your memory, memory right? He brought it out to your remembrance. And so the Spirit of God is working in that way. Now, let's just go a little bit further. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. And let's, uh, let's jump in here at um, verse 13. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So the Spirit of God somehow is able to give us insight into future? Is that kind of what it says? Things to come. That sounds like tomorrow or later today, doesn't it? Do you see how, how essential the Holy Spirit is to your Christian life? You can't rely simply on the Word of God. You have to rely on the Spirit and the truth. You have to have both those. He's going, to, he's going to bring this stuff to your remembrance. He's going to guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit? Lift up Jesus. Holy Spirit never lifts himself up. He lifts up Jesus. The Holy Spirit is, if I can put it in this way, and, and I'm not sure how accurate this is going to come out, but I'm going to give it a shot. He is the most sensitive member of the Trinity. He is the most sensitive. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. The Holy Spirit who lives in you can cry because of the way we live out our life. He's, a, he's, he's the emblem sometimes is that of a dove. Not a hawk. A dove. 
a gentle dove. Holy Spirit comes like a dove, and what we can do is we say, no, not now, Holy Spirit. I'm really enjoying my soulish life. I'm really liking to feed who I am and do what I want to do. Holy Spirit comes back. Not now, Holy Spirit. Not now. You see, the more that we can deal with the soulish man, the things that that we want to do, the more we deal with that, the more we release the Spirit of God in us and through us. And that's got to be the goal. Jesus put it like this. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And what we're really trying to say is everybody in here has to die. We have to die to self. Because only then do we release the Spirit of God. Jesus modeled it, didn't he? He said, if I don't die, if I don't go to that cross, I can't bring many sons to glory. See, only in his dying do we have life. It was in his, his dying, you know, that we, that we got the forgiveness of sins and in his resurrection that we got eternal life. So we have to die to this. So what Watchman Nee does, he spends a lot of time in uh, dealing with this idea of brokenness. And the reason that we chose these two books, Tammy and, we're, and I were talking today, and she said, you know, this is a perfect combination of books. Because the first one, we have, to, we have to get on the right level. If we don't walk humbly before God, we're going we're gonna to goof ourselves and everybody else up. Because all of a sudden we're going to get so excited about, about what God's doing and miracles, and we're going to think it's about us. It is never about you and me. And the minute we start thinking it's about me and uh, you and I, then we're in trouble, right? Okay, so the first part of this class is kind of like let's deal with us, and then the second part of this class was going to get a lot more fun. We're going to deal with, oh, gosh, look how God can use us, this exciting thing that God is doing. And that's powerful. I got a call from, uh, you know, Phoebe. You remember Faith, L- the little girl Faith who was healed? Or the Okay, so I get a call from, from Phoebe, and she's crying. I'm going, oh, no. You know, my first thought, what's my human thought say? Faith's got bad news. No, Faith's fine. My mom was just diagnosed with lymphoma, and she's crying. And I said, "This, are you serious? Do we have to move our family into your house you're getting a little stingy with all the miracles because, you know, God healed her of her eyesight, too. I don't know if you knew that. That was, that was back probably a year and a half ago, okay? The retinas were detaching. We prayed for her, and you don't even know about that one, okay? So, so all of a sudden, you go, okay, now this is three, seriously. You're getting greedy for miracles. And all of a sudden, she's, she stops crying for a minute, and I did it on purpose, I said, why would you want to go to the worst-case scenario with your mother? Why not go to the best-case scenario of the miracles of God? And there's a human side of us. It's our soulish man that's always going to go there to the worst possible scenario. And we have to fight it, don't we? I mean, we all have to fight that part of us because we're just like, oh, no, things are, I can't, more bad news. You know, kind of like I think we talked about in a sermon one time. You know, have you ever noticed how two bad things happen? And somebody said, well, you know, bad things come in three. Oh, yeah, thank you. Get out of my life. <laughs> right? Shut up. You know, uh, I don't want to hear that. You know, good. And then you get three and you go, oh, I've got, got that over with. And then all of a sudden, it comes, what's going on? Here comes number four. No, 
I wanted to redirect her mind because if her mind's not going in the right direction, what's going to happen? She can't pray in faith. She can't see the goodness of God. Now, just because you see the goodness of God and just because you you keep your mind right doesn't mean bad things don't happen on planet Earth, right? We're never insulated from bad things. We're never never completely free from just the dictates of this world and what it might throw at us. The difference is, like we talked about Sunday, here's Jesus who can sleep through a storm in a boat while the disciples are thinking they're going to perish. And he wakes up, rebukes the wind and the waves, you know, and goes, and, and I'm sure he's wanting to say something like, come on, seriously, guys. There's another account of that in one of the other Gospels, and basically it's the story right before that of the feeding. I think of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's like they forgot the miracle that preceded that. If I could feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of food, you really think I can't handle this? Okay, let's, make it a, let's, let's do it this way. How is it that you can think, you and I can think, that God can save us from all of our sins, forgive all of our sins, take us to heaven, and he can't help you find a parking place at the shopping center. Now, I'm being a little ridiculous to make a point. Why is it we can take a great big thing and we can say, oh, yes, God did that, look what God did, and then all of a sudden we face something that really is lesser in magnitude and we're rattled. It comes down to the soulish man. The soulish man. I live and I thrive sometimes in that world of the soulish man, and I can't let that happen. So as we start to think about this, um, uh, take your book and let's just go to uh, let's go to the to page ten in your Watchman Nee book. And hopefully, I have a very old version of this. If you can all see this, right? This was given to me in college by a girl, and I told this in our last school of ministry. I'll tell it again because it's, it's a good one. Um, so I was saved about a year when I started Christian college. I transferred from a university where I was uh, pursuing a different uh, discipline and, and, and not ministry, that's for sure. Um, and I won't say I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, sorry, Ted, but God saved me out of that. Um, huh? Okay, but anyway, um, so anyway, I, I started reading the Bible. I got really into the Bible when I was first saved, and I was reading it. I read the New Testament through four times the first month I was saved, okay? And I picked it up, and I could remember, and I had scriptures in my, but I was like a spiritual pygmy. I was proud. I knew stuff, and and this book was given to me by a girl named Jane Houston, all right? And her name's in the front of this. Haven't seen her since she gave me the book. Don't even know what she's doing, all right? But she walked up to me, and she and I love books. You know, I was getting books, and if you need a gift idea, you can always get me a book. But, um, but she walked up to me, and she said, I know you love books. I said, I do. She said, I have a book. Have you read this? And I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, you need to. And I said, why? She said, it's about brokenness, and you need to be broken. And I got so mad, I put the book on the shelf, and I refused to read it. I didn't read it for several years. Finally, one day, I was looking at that book, and I thought, you know what? She's gone. She'll never know if I'm reading this or not. I'm going to pick the book up and read it, and it kicked my butt. She was right. There was a pattern in me that needed to be broken, and that pattern 
was constantly going to be with me. It wasn't like it was going to go away because I got more mature in Christ or I read something. There, there, there's certain, let's say, bents in our nature that you may have to wrestle with your whole life. But it doesn't mean you can't have victory your whole life. Right? So what I always have to do is I just say, hey, God, I just want to, I want to die to self and I want to live unto you. And, and all that stuff that maybe I grew up with, I inherited or whatever I got it, you know, just bad stuff. I want to just throw that to the cross. Do you ever think, is it unusual to you that Jesus said, hey, take up your cross daily and follow me? Why didn't he say, why don't you take it up once a week? You ever think why you why you need to, to go to God and, and just talk to him about kind of the ways you've fouled up that day in prayer and just kind of confess some stuff? You got to take you got to keep a short account on stuff. You know why? Because it builds up on you and and all of a sudden you've messed up. Don't even know how you got some. How did I get here? Well, you didn't deal with God every day to talk to God every day and kind of work through stuff every day in your life. So page 10. Uh, let, let's look. It's the first uh First new paragraph there, it begins with the word, notice how the Bible divides man into two parts. Is that the same page? Page 12, great. I'm going to add two to every page. We'll see if it works. Okay, notice how the Bible divides man into two parts. For I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. You ever had that experience? The experience, well, you know, man, I just love God. And then the rest of you is just acting like you don't. Anybody had that experience? Raise your hand if you've had that experience. Okay, the Bible says all of you have had that experience. Let's try it again. How many of you have had that experience? Okay, most of you. Now, okay, let me try it one more time. Okay, how many of you had the experience? Raise your hand. Good, good. That's good. We're getting closer to biblical Christianity now. Okay, so let's just go to Romans chapter 7. I want to show you this. And Romans 7 can get a little bit on the confusing side if you just kind of jump into it, you got to kind of go back and read it on your own, read slow. But I want you to see what, what Paul is saying here. And beginning in verse 22, we're just going to read uh, through verse 25. Seven, Romans 7, uh, 22 through 25. It says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. What's the, what's the inward man? Right? It's, like, it's, it's, it's getting down in your spirit, man, right? But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So here's Paul, this great apostle, and what's he saying? He goes, you know, in my inner man, I love God, I love Jesus, I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm at war sometimes. There's a war. Why do I think that way? Why do I do that, right? He says, I find a war going on inside of me. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, let me give you an illustration here. You know what he's talking about, the body of death? In that day, if someone killed and murdered someone, your family member could choose how they're going to die. They could either be executed by the state or you would take the deceased corpse. They would put the man in a prison and they would tie that corpse to that man's body until the diseased body killed him and he would have revenge. A little gruesome. Okay, but now what's what he says? You know what the wretched man is? The wretched man is a dead body that's strapped to him. Here's Paul going, I walk around all day long with a wretched man on me. Little by little, it's killing me. Little by little, it's diseasing. It's disease is getting the best of me. I can't get free from it. I'm trapped. I'm trapped in this 
horrible situation. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then look what he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. If you stop there and don't get to chapter 8, you don't get all the good stuff. Remember, the chapter divisions were only added later so we could find stuff. Verse 1, there is, therefore, just a little bit of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? Just a little bit. How much condemnation? None. Nobody here is condemned by God. Now, we might condemn each other. Satan might step up to the plate for us. But God never condemns you. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, why is that? It says, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's not automatic you don't have no condemnation. When you walk in the flesh, you feel condemned all the time. What does walking in the flesh mean? It doesn't mean walking in this physical body. It means doing things according to my old way of doing things. My old way of getting things done. Remember Jacob? Remember that guy Jacob? So here's Jacob, and Jacob is, his name means what? Deceiver, trickster, right? He was, man, he was always going to get something. And so finally, he finds himself in a situation where he's wrestling with this angel of the Lord. And he says, uh, the angel of the Lord says, let me go. And he says, I'm not going to do it. He says, let me go. And he says, no, he says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. See, Jacob was not used to getting something for nothing i got to have something here. So I said, okay, I'll bless you. He reaches down. He touches his thigh. His thigh goes out. His hip goes out of joint, and the rest of his life he limps. How's that for a blessing? You want God bless me? Well, maybe not. God bless me. He said, you shall no longer be called Jacob. You should be called Israel, which means a prince with God. Would you be willing to let God create a limp in you so that you could be a prince with God? I had somebody tell me one time, never trust, never trust a man without a limp. Never trust somebody who hasn't gone through the fire, man or woman. You have to be hit so that you... You humble yourself before God. See, that's what he says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. What's the rest of that verse say? That in due season, he might exalt you. See, it's not that God doesn't want to exalt you. He wants to do it in his way, in his time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That in due season, he might exalt you. So Paul tells us something there about it. But, uh, but the inward man delights. Let's go over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, and let's look at uh, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, and what I want to do is I want to, the, the scripture there that's referenced in your book is verse 16, I want to expand that a little bit, and I want to take you over to verse 8 through 11, and then we're going to jump down to 16, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, I think Paul really meant that. I don't think that was false humility, do you? Paul really had a pretty good perspective on himself. He says, you know what, I'm nothing. If you think you're something, you just disqualified yourself for what God wants to do in you. 
He said this, he said, the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Okay, now God says there's a mystery here that God hid, but God had a purpose. When, whenever God uses the term mystery, that Greek word mysterion, it means something hidden but to be revealed at the right time. I'll reveal it at the right time to the right people. That's the mystery of God, the mysterion of God. Now watch what it is. To the intent that now, now, this present age, right, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. What's the next word? Your Bible should say by, by the church. What's our job? We are releasers of the manifold wisdom of God. You are. That's your job. My job isn't to go and sit and endure another 221 sermons from Pastor Phil. My job is to release the manifold wisdom of God. If that doesn't take you up a little bit in your, in your perspective on how God sees you, I don't know what would. That's your job. Let me reread it again. To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by some of the church. By the church. Who's the church? The body of Christ, right? It's not the building, it's you. The church to, now who are we, who are we going to release that to? What's it say? Just read the Bible. What's it say? Bible's a good, to the principalities. Here, John, read that. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Oh. Oh, you mean we're supposed to put Satan on notice. That's what it says. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I have boldness and access to God. And God says, church, I want you to go around and I want you to stick it in Satan's face. That's really what he's saying. How do I do that? I do it by 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, destroying the works of the evil one. You know what's the work of the evil one? The evil one is to, to take from you your eternal soul. When I bring someone, when I present somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ, you know what I've done? I've destroyed the work of the evil one. When I restore hope in someone, the hope that God loves them, I've destroyed the work of the evil one. When I pray for someone, whether they get healed or not, I've destroyed the work of the evil one. I am, a, I am sticking it in his face. I'm saying, Satan, you are nobody because I am created in the image of God and you never were. I am an eternal son and daughter of the living God. And I am going to proclaim the manifold wisdom. That word manifold, it means the varied colored. Think about a hundred colors of the rainbow. And God says, my grace and my love has that many different dimensions. The manifold wisdom. There is no limit to the wisdom of God. You think you got some of the wisdom of God, there's more. How big is God? You can't measure him, so there's not, it's a bad question. How much does he know? There's no limit, so it's a bad question. How much grace does he have? It's unlimited. And he gave it to you. And he said, now, go around and just every time, you know what I do? 
when you just feel a little bit down, you ever anybody have those moments? Raise your hand. I want to see if everybody has ever had that experience. Just raise it up. I want to see. I'm, this is a test. All right, I want to see if you're listening, keep you awake. You know, I know you had a long day. Okay, you can put your hand down. Some of you didn't raise your hand. You're afraid to be a charismatic. Okay, but it's going to be okay. All right, now, so what I do is, you know, I'm, I, man, I'm just not, I don't know, I'm not feeling. You know, sometimes I'll wake up. You ever wake up and just in a bad mood? You ever do that? I'll wake up and I go, Tim goes, what's wrong? I'm in a bad mood. Why? I don't know. Did I do something? No, I'm just in a bad mood. Sometimes I like to enjoy it for a little while. You know what I'm talking about? Don't get me out of it. I'm, in, I'm having a great time. You know, it's my job. It's my destiny this morning to make everybody miserable. All right? And no, but if you want to get out of that, the quickest way to get out of that is not try to figure out what's wrong. Because you will spend your life trying to figure out what's wrong and not figure out what's wrong. Best way to get out of it, I just want to, I just want to invite your presence into my life right now. If you only have 10 minutes to pray, praise God for eight of them. And tell him your request for two. I'm telling you, do not start with all that's wrong. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Leonard Ravenhill tells a story in one of his books about um, a lady that came to him and said, Oh, Dr. Ravenhill, I don't know what I'm going to do. I got up this morning and Satan was, has been by my side, and he hasn't left my side all day long. Now, if you know anything about Ravenhill, he wasn't exactly uh, PC, all right? He didn't really care if he offended you or not. And he said, lady, uh, that, that's quite a remarkable story. He said, because Satan can only be in one place at one time, so for him to spend all day with you, you must be pretty important. <laughs> I just invite your presence. Take 80% 80, 80 of your time, praise God, 2%, bring him your requests. You follow that model, you only got one minute, then just break it down. 80% goes to praising God. I just want to praise you, God. I want to praise you for who you are. Our Father, which art in heaven, that's how it started. If you go on our website, you can go on the, the little carousel there, and yours, there's a life of prayer there, a little book I wrote. It's on iTunes. You can download it. It's, it works really best. It was designed for an iPad because you can flip the pages and life of prayer. And I give you a model there where we created uh, a prayer chart based on the Lord's prayer and it's divided into six demarcations and you take your prayer life and you pray it into six sections and you spend equal time. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're going to pray an hour. There's 10 minutes. First 10 minutes. God, I just want to give you praise. I want to just acknowledge you are the great God. I want to just call upon you, Jehovah Rapha. You are my healer, God, and I'm going to call on you, great Elohim. I want to call on you. I want to praise you. I want to give you thanks. Let me tell you something. You do that for 10 minutes. You really think you're going to be worried about the scratch on your car? About the guy who, did, who cut you off on the highway? No, you're so excited about Jesus. You're just thinking about Jesus. You see, there's a scripture. How about this one? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give the desires of your heart. Everybody heard that one? Nobody functions with that one in that order. God, I will delight in you as soon as you give me my stuff. You know what, you know what goes before those verses? Dwell in the land. Cultivate righteousness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give the desires of your heart. Dwell in the land. That is, get some consistency in your walk with God. You're never gonna, you're never gonna understand what God's up to. You're never gonna enlighten God till you get consistency in your walk with God. Cultivate righteousness. Do what is right. Consistent patterns. Do what is right. 
delight, then you know how to delight in God. And then guess what? He so shaped your desires that now all of a sudden they look different. Your requests are different. Your prayers are different. Everything about you is different because guess what? Dwelt in the land. Built consistency. Right? Pursue and cultivate righteousness. Delight myself in the Lord. And guess what? The promise comes then. The promise comes then. Okay, now let's go over to, so we're, we're in Ephesians uh, 3. Now just drop down here, if you will, to verse 16. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be spring, spring, uh, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's your spirit. So see, what, what does God do? He strengthens you from the inside and it starts to push everything out push everything out. What we want to do is we want to try to fix the outside. I got to quit cussing. I'm going to bite my lip so I don't cuss anymore. You haven't done anything spiritual by doing that. Out of the heart, out of the mouth proceeds the what? The fullness of the heart. Get the heart right, everything else take care of itself. I smoke all the marijuana I want. I just don't want any. Do you see the difference? Smoke all I want. Just don't want it. What does the Spirit of God do on the inside? He takes, he changes your wanter. When the Spirit of God comes in, he's like a decorator. He redecorates the inside. He's an interior decorator. Oh, we got to move that front. Oh, that's out of here. Crystal, that's out of here. What are you doing that over there in that room? John, uh uh-oh. That attitude ain't going to work. I'm, in, I'm doing interior decorating because guess what? I have something for you. I have an eternal weight of glory. I'm getting you ready to reign with me for all eternity, church. That's why you struggle. That's why you go through stuff because God's got to shave some stuff off you that he doesn't like the looks of. You know, and you really don't like it either. You just don't know what to do with it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a story, then we're going to take a break. How many of you have a pet? Okay. All right, let me just shout out. What kind of pet do you have? Okay, if, if you have a cat, shout it out. Cat, okay. Dog? Dog, dog. Okay, rabbit. I heard a rabbit. Okay, what else we got? Ferret. Okay, what else? Fish. Okay. Turtle. Okay. What do you, what do you, what do you like, a zoo? Oh, you got a kangaroo, right? She's got a kangaroo. Okay. Huh? I'm annoying you? Why? Oh, that's beautiful. I love your guinea pig. Okay, now, why do we call them pets? What, is, what does the word pet mean? So, Right? You really can't pet a fish. I mean, I guess you could, but, you know, it's a little more difficult. Okay, this right here. Come here. Come here, boy. Tail wagon, right? Oh, it feels good. Scratch behind the ear. Oh yeah, you want a little biscuit? Oh, you love me, don't you? Yeah, you just want a biscuit. Okay. Some of you are petting stuff in your life, and you keep petting it because it wigs the tail, and you know it's not good for you, 
and it's keeping you from the kingdom power that you rightly deserve. You got to identify the pets, sins, and attitudes and deal with them. And as hard as it will be to get rid of that little pet in here, it will be so useful in the kingdom.